Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at HearstRanch.com. Hey, this is Kathy Airway, host of Eat Your Words and Heritage Radio Network. I've been a part of the HRN community for almost 10 years, and even after all that time, I'm constantly inspired by the incredible voices of our network. Each week, I record my show in the HRN studio, made from two recycled shipping containers, because I'm so excited to bring you, our listeners, the most important stories from the world of food and literature. All of us here at HRN make food radio because we love it. This year, HRN is celebrating its 10th anniversary, but we need your support to keep food radio going strong for the next decade. Join the HRN community today by becoming a member. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate right now. You can even show some love to this show by selecting Eat Your Words in the designation drop-down menu. Thanks so much for listening to HRN. Hey, hey, you're listening to Eat Your Words on Heritage Radio Network, and I'm your host, Kathy Arroway. I'd like to give a special thanks to myself from two weeks ago for that little promotional message you heard just now. (laughs) That was really freaky. (laughs) But anyway, yes, uh, thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. And um, today's show is really special because I've had this book um, in my sights ever since I heard that it was coming out, and I couldn't wait to speak to the author of it. So when I think of um, some of my favorite cookbook authors and certainly some of the most legendary and well-known cookbook authors, um, I often conjure an image of an older woman, sort of maternal, um, who's wise from years and years of um, cooking, shopping for ingredients and so forth, um, and really being an expert in their cuisine. Talking about folks like, you know, Julia Child, Mother Jaffrey, um, <clears throat> certainly Lydia Bastianich, and so forth. But this book is written by a decidedly younger, fresh voice. It is so appealing and energetic to read. But it also is co-written by the author's mother, who is every bit that sort of wise, uh, I don't know, traditional, more traditional, but actually not where am I going with that traditional word? Let's talk a little bit about that later. But, you know, it's written in combination or in collaboration with the author's mother, who she pays homage to for and her culinary know-how. So I'm speaking today with Priya Krishna, who has co-written the book Indianish, Recipes and Antics from a Modern American Family, with her mom, Ritu Krishna. Um, and a foreword by Padma Lakshmi. So welcome to the show, Priya. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for coming, and congrats on your first book. Thank you. It's actually my second book. Oh, yes. You um, read the I wrote college. a book about how to hack your college dining hall, but this definitely does feel... I wrote that book in college. This feels like my first like professional book. Professional book. <laughs> From a professional writer who has written for Lucky Peach, The New York Times, Bon Appetit, and... Um, and also The Ultimate Dining Hall Hacks, which is the cookbook you wrote in yeah. college. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so this book um, is sort of like a love letter to your mom's cooking growing up in Dallas. And as, you know, as you've inherited her kitchen wisdom, because her recipes are featured throughout this book. And there's even a yeah. passage from her. So it's sort of um, a collaboration, a collaborative effort. Totally. But my mom, she wrote all the recipes like she that. Did. That is the know-how. I knew that I was like, I'm like, I'm a, I'm a good, I'm a good journalist. I can tell 
people's stories. I can craft stories, but I'm not an intuitive cook. Mm-hmm. So I was like, if my mom supplies the recipes, I can kind of craft the narrative around it and pull those stories out of her. Um, and also family members, too, you mentioned yeah. throughout this book. Yeah. Each recipe has this wonderful story behind it that's so unique. Um, and I want to get into some of those, too. But they involve other family members mm-hmm. or sometimes friends and so forth. So it sounds like a real group effort. Yeah, I was lucky enough to grow up with a really, really large extended Indian family in Dallas, Texas. And my parents also had some really good family friends who we would travel with. Mm-hmm. So we had a very nice extended Indian community. And this yeah. book, I want, I, it didn't feel right to not include them too. Yeah. So um, the subtitle is Recipes and Antics from a Modern American Family. And uh, you're born and raised in Dallas. I was born in New Hampshire and we moved to okay. Dallas when I was two. Yeah. Got it. Um, your mom and parents are from India. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was sort of like mentioning the words traditional and then took it back. <laughs> but how would you describe their cooking growing up? Well, so my mom never learned how to cook when she was growing up. Um, her mom hated cooking. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she immigrated to the States and was like, I have no idea how to cook except roti. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she started watching like Martin Yan and Julia Child and Jacques Pepin. Mm-hmm. And she started buying cookbooks from people like Tharla Dalal, who was a really prolific cookbook author in India. And she basically took the memories of eating in India and the ingredients she had access to at an American grocery store and came up with her own recipes. So that subtitle was really important to me because this food, like these recipes were all developed in the U S mm-hmm. like this is fundamentally an American story. And I think there's this tendency that the word American or American food only encompasses, you know, Western food, you know, Italian, French, that, that sort of thing, or hamburgers, mm-hmm. pizza type of cuisine. And I wanted to sort of make clear that this, that, like, that this is American food. Like, this belongs in the genre of American food. I didn't want this book to be relegated to, like, the international section of cookbook stores. Really cool. I love that you write in the introduction, I hope this book does does well, largely so that publishers and consumers will take notice, will take more chances of stories like this one, which don't fit the mold of what has dominated the cookbook genre for so long. Um, a mostly whitewash interpretation of America and its food. So... This is an inherently American story um, where I was thinking about this because I had a recent um, sort of discussion with a lot of food writers about what belongs in this like American food cookbook category and what does that even mean nowadays? Um, so where would you hope this book would be? Would, would you call it like, would you hope that it ends up, for instance, in the James Beard category for best American cookbook or best international I mean, definitely American. Like, this is not an international cookbook. Like, I was not born and raised in India. Like, this is largely about, like, my experience as a child of immigrants growing up in the U.S. And my mom's experience, like, once she got here. Like, it doesn't talk a lot about life in India because that's not something that I know or I'm an expert about. Mm -hmm. Um, I I don't want to pretend to be an expert on every region of India. That's not what this book is about. This book is about this very specific experience that I had growing up that will hopefully make people want to cook with Indian flavors more. And why do you think there was a reluctance to to that concept um, from publishers in the cookbook genre for so long? I, You know, I think that there's just always been these preconceived notions that people don't want to cook food that's not, you know chicken thighs or a 
simple spaghetti with meatballs that people are uninterested, that people would go out to eat Vietnamese food and Indian food and Chinese food, but that they would be really reluctant to cook it at home. You know, mm-hmm. there are all these conceptions. You have to go to a million grocery stores. You have It's really complicated. It's really difficult. It takes forever. Well, guess what? My mom's food was literally born from like what she could find in an American grocery store. And, you know, now we live in this world where grocery stores are stocking turmeric and lentils and fish sauce and things that they didn't stock 30, 40 years ago. So I think that there's more more of an openness than ever from people. And I think to as, cook. Yeah, to cook. Yeah. To cook. All like non-white food, food right. basically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's more accessible, it's easier, as you mentioned. And so, yeah, this is American food. Yeah, and just like every single day, I get just like so many DMs of people tagging me having made this food. Mm-hmm. It feels very validating. People are like, people are realizing like, oh, this food is actually not that hard to mm-hmm. make. <laughs> so uh, I love that you um, include this wonderful illustrations throughout actually mm-hmm. there's like these cartoonish characters um like you can cook it on the front cover yeah. <laughs> um there's also in the introduction to the recipe for kitri uh-huh. um, yeah uh an illustration of a you know a sort of cartoon um you uh-huh. i guess is that you yeah, it's, i okay. guess it's supposed to be me <laughs> <laughs> and this guy saying you know uh or you saying, I knew it. What was it? Sorry. It's the, have you heard of ghee? And yes. I'm saying way ahead of you. <laughs> way ahead of you on that one. And in the in the um, introduction for that recipe, you mentioned that a lot of like sort of yoga instruction, <laughs> like wellness sort of gurus have decided all of a sudden that this, you know, healthful, like, ener- I don't know what they categorize it as, but, you know, um, immune boosting. Totally. Like yeah. Indian food has become like super like hippie yoga wellness food now. Mm-hmm. But don't forget that it comes from, you know, Indian folks who've been eating it forever. Yeah. I mean, it's, and Kitchardi is such a perfect example of that. Like I was editing a story for a different magazine and this woman who is like writing about like buying crystals and stuff wrote like, and she spelled it like, She's spelled it like kichari. She was like, I've recently discovered this like nourishing dish called kichari, which has like aligned my chakras. And (laughs) like, it was just, yeah, it just, it, I was like, wait, what? Like kichari is now being eaten by these like white lady wellness folks. And, you know, I think for me, it's like, I don't have a problem with, white people eating kitchardy. It's totally mm-hmm. fine. Kitchardy is awesome. Everyone should be eating it. But it's sort of this tone or this notion that like they discovered it for the mm-hmm. first time and sort of erasing the fact that it's existed in Indian culture for a very long time right. before right. then. And and they're taking credit a little bit for it. Like, yeah, you yeah. know, I saw like this one kitchardy recipe where it was just someone made lentils and then someone made rice and put one on top of the other but the whole point of kitchardy is stewing the lentils and the rice together ah and (laughs) okay that's not then it's not even correct yeah yeah that's just like bell trowel then yeah and and i think that this topic has come up a lot with turmeric which you've written about Mm -hmm. um for bon appetit but um that's one of the ingredients that we see co-opted a lot Mm -hmm. um do you think that there's you know benefits to folks you know 
is this like a gateway to maybe learning more about Indian foods? Yeah, I don't I don't think it's an entirely bad thing. I think it's mm-hmm. great that you can now buy like five varieties of turmeric mm-hmm. at Whole Foods. What bothers me is, well, one, when people pronounce it turmeric, I'm just like, there's an, there's an R there. It's turmeric. <laughs> right. Um, and second, like, it's just so funny to me that like, people seem to think that turmeric is like a flavor unto itself. But like, if you ask any Indian, they're like, I would never flavor something with turmeric. Turmeric is like, adds color. Mm -hmm. It sort of gives the other spices in the dish a depth. That's like, plays this supporting role. But then I talk to women who are like, oh yeah, I stir it into my orange juice. And I'm like, that sounds gross. (laughs) (laughs) Just plain, like no heating it up. Yeah, nothing. Yeah, like it needs some kind of heat or or dairy to like one active health benefits into like, yeah, to make it taste not super harsh and bitter. Okay, so turmeric lattes. Do you think that works? Well, I mean, turmeric lattes are just the same thing as holy dood. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not that's not new. Like, Indians right. have been have been heating up like turmeric and and warm milk with like tea for a very long time. So, mm-hmm. yeah, like I don't know. It's funny. I feel like a lot of turmeric lattes, like they just don't taste anything like it's like they're doing everything they can to like mask the turmeric i don't Ooh. know it's just hmm. very i've just all about a lot the of, health benefits yeah, yeah yeah like i don't i'm not mad about the turmeric latte but i'm like let's just acknowledge that this is just holy dude mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's yeah it, it's something that we see more and more you know with ingredients as they become popular totally and um did you see any other ingredients that are going this trajectory of embracing and then sort of reclaiming um i think moringa that's happening Mm -hmm. it's like to a lesser extent i like apparently like made a splash like the fancy food show is like a snacky Mm. thing what is moringa moringa i you know i'm not like entirely sure what it is but god like what i don't i like don't even know how to classify it but it's like something that's kind of existed in indian food for a really long time and then i think like the consumer packaged goods industry is really like, like saying it's like, Oh, it's like a healthy snack food. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. So yeah, I don't know. I just, you know, I feel like (laughs) maybe we'll, we will have reached like peak turmeric when there's like a Pringles flavor. (laughs) (laughs) Ooh, that doesn't sound good at all. But people will be like, Oh my God. Yes. (laughs) Turmeric Pringles. I will help. Yeah. My tacos (laughs) while eating potato chips I don't know about that um I love though you mentioned you're not an expert on Indian cooking but Mm -hmm. this you know this cookbook really really beautifully and um uh practically really lays out some principles for cooking everyday food Mm -hmm. um with like techniques that are I don't know would you say pretty classic to Indian when when we're talking about techniques like chonk yeah I mean it's called chonk is is called something different in Mm -hmm. depending on the region that you're in. But the idea of tempering spices and oil is Mm -hmm. like a very classic Indian technique. And I felt like it was something that was worth dedicating a section to and yelling from the rooftops because it has totally changed the way I cook. Yeah. And this is basically like, I've heard the the term tempering used for it, which you mentioned. Mm -hmm. Um, You basically take some ghee, 
and you warm up whole spices mm-hmm. in it. Yep. So it's totally infused, and it and it's added to dishes sort of at the end. Yes, usually. exactly. Okay, so it adds that like splash of flavor. So and a little texture and crunch, texture and crunch, richness. So it's like the finishing. Think of it yeah. as like the yeah. It sort of green. brings like a doll or a subsea. It sort of brings it to like technicolor. You know, it brings it alive. I think that, yeah, you mentioned that this is like the greatest Indian cooking technique ever and everyone should know it. And I think that, you know, seeing some friends of mine who are Indian do this, it was really like a light bulb moment for me. Right, totally, totally. It was like, oh, you know, we don't really, I wouldn't have thought of that before. So it's like a wonderful But there's also like, it's interesting like seeing, I think some people have been making chonk without realizing it. Like a compound butter, for example, is like kind of like a chonk or Mm -hmm. like the way that when you make a steak and people put like whole thyme and then like base the butter over it, you're kind of making a chonk. Like, you know, there's brown like, butter sage or something. Yeah, on top. or like okay. you know, I was thinking about like chili crisp. Chili crisp is essentially that's a true type of chonk. It is <laughs> infused chilies and oil. Yeah, yeah. totally. Um, we're going to talk a lot about, about more of these recipes and techniques, um, but we're going to cut to a quick little commercial break and we'll be right back. Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. The Hearst family has been raising cattle on the rich, sustainable native grasslands of California's Central Coast for over 150 years. Piedra Blanca Rancho in San Simeon is the original Hearst Ranch, founded by George Hearst in 1865. George's son was the famous publisher, William Randolph Hearst. In addition to being known for building the iconic Hearst Castle, William was, like his father before him, an avid rancher. In his words, I would rather spend a month at the ranch than any place in the world. Thanks to one of the largest land conservation easements in California history, a joint effort with the California Rangeland Trust, the American Land Conservancy, and the state of California, the working landscape at Hearst Ranch will be preserved forever. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at hearstranch.com. Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. My name is Allison Kane, and I'm the host of In the Sauce here on HRN. Now that I'm expanding my cooking school to a sauce line in grocery stores, I need all the help I can get. And I want to help other entrepreneurs build their brands too. You can find In the Sauce wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. We're back chatting more with Priya Krishna, author of Indian-ish. Um, we're chomping down some pizza right now. Really good. <laughs> and um, you were mentioning what you would put on it, maybe chili crisp, mm-hmm. spicy chili crisp. You do have pizza in this book. We do. And tell me a little bit about that one, how it came about. That is probably the most made dish in, mm-hmm. our, in the Krishna household, is the roti <laughs> pizza in the book. Mm-hmm. Basically, when my sister and I were growing up, all we wanted was to have pizza for dinner because we saw a bunch of our kids, or a bunch of our friends, like they got to have pizza for dinner and we had to eat dal chowl, lentils and rice. So we would beg my mom to let us eat pizza. And one day 
we she she was like i don't know how to make pizza but she like roasted some rotis and then started putting our favorite pizza toppings on them and then she baked them and the roti just like crisped and curled and charred like a pizza crust mm-hmm. and like was a nice sturdy surface for the toppings and it just worked so beautifully and roti pizza became just like this iconic Krishna oh, wonderful. dish and it was really exciting to see like I was reading Nick Sharma's book and he has that Season. book for naan yeah and I'm like wow it is so like obviously I think my mom's food is great but like it's even more exciting seeing like other right? immigrants and kids of immigrants doing something really similar actually diana kwan's book um red hot kitchen has a a red i think it's spicy chili crisp no no it's exo sauce pizza that sounds amazing yeah (laughs) um pizza's really become a vehicle but actually it's similar to having the bread that you dip in your dishes Mm -hmm. but it's all spread on it on top and then crisp yep so it sort of hit the jackpot for totally like crispiness and flavor and i love that you have um your mom seems to be a huge fan of various different cuisines and loves to travel. Yes. Um, so some of that influence is throughout these recipes in various different places. But for instance, you have the tofu basil endive leaves, mm-hmm. which was influenced by a dish that she loves from P.F. Chang. Yeah. Um, yeah. I loved, I loved hearing that story yeah. because my mom is like such a picky eater. But to find mm. out that her favorite restaurant when she was like a young software engineer was P.F. Chang's <laughs> was amazing. Well, I guess P.F. Chang's has these really famous, they have these, these lettuce wraps and you can get them with chicken or with tofu. And my mom would get them with tofu. And it's sort of like tofu that's like seasoned with like soy sauce and mm-hmm. oil. Chop, chop, and then shiny. like, yeah. And then it's crumbled and you get like peanuts in it and some herbs. And my mom just loved this. Mm-hmm. And so she came up with her version using endive and like some more Italian leaning ingredients. And it's sort of this like crazy hybridized appetizer, but it's delicious. It's amazing. (laughs) And your mom's like invented a lot of dishes that like turned out surprisingly well, like the pancakes. Um, Yeah, I love, I'm so glad you brought up the pancakes. (laughs) That's like the unsung hero of this cookbook. (laughs) Yeah, it sounded amazing that she just like, okay, tell me about it. Yeah. Yeah, she, again, my sister and I were like, we want pancakes. Like all of our friends (laughs) are eating pancakes. Pancakes And so she went out and bought a thing of Bisquick and she looked at the recipe on the back and we didn't eat a lot of eggs like in India among a lot of Indians, like eggs are considered non-vegetarian. And so my mom was like, I want to come up with an eggless version. And so she <laughs> took the Bisquick pancake mix and like added a bunch of wheat germ, wheat germ. Wheat germ and mm-hmm. milk, no butter. And then just like mixed it up and made a pancake. And it made like the most delicious pancake. And these pancakes became so well known that like friends would actively come over on weekends to be like, I want your mom's pancakes. Oh my God. And they, they really are so good. And my parents legendary were legendary now in your family. They were early on the train of like, they hated Aunt Jemima's. They were like, I mean, they're from New Hampshire. Like they knew what the real stuff tasted like. So my sister and I would be like, we want the gross artificial stuff. And my parents were like, no, like we're a real maple syrup house. Wow. <laughs> I feel like this example and, and basically the entire book is such a great sort of, um, um, call to not do things the way that they've always been done and see what happens. And, and, you know, you, you describe your mom as like a wizard and like Mm -hmm. in the most, you know, wonderful, like terms for her cooking ability. 
Um, but you mentioned, you know, she didn't grow up learning how to cook. She's not a trained chef or anything totally. like that. She's a person. She was actually a very busy working mother and um, engineer. Yeah, I mean, I think this is something I've been thinking about a lot is the idea that, like, there are certain things that you're supposed to do and not do in recipes mm-hmm. or in cookbooks. Like, I, you know, I work part-time at the food magazine Bon Appetit, and I feel like there's very much an understanding that, like, this is how you cook chicken, this is how you do this, this is how you do this, and that's, like, the way to do that. And what was really wonderful about watching my mother cook is that, like, she never read those magazines. She never learned the, the rules, quote-unquote, of no. cooking. So, you know, she was making Free. her rice in a microwave using pre-cut frozen veggies and you know i was talking to uh andrew nguyen who wrote the book um vietnamese food any day any day yeah yeah, which is an amazing book and she's talking about how her publisher like actively discouraged her from like recipes and involved a microwave and things like that but i think (laughs) i just think i just think that's like those are such the microwave was so essential to my upbringing and to (laughs) to take the microwave out of that would sort of why? would feel inauthentic right. to my family. And mm-hmm. I just like love the idea that my mom's recipes don't like abide by any like prescribed like rules of how cooking needs to be. And, but look, it's delicious. and look what happens. Yeah. You have these like better than average pancakes, you know, <laughs> better than the Bisquick version. I'm sure I've, I, you know, and they sound even more healthy too. So there, yeah, my yeah, mom was all about term. sneaking healthy, right. healthy stuff into our food. That's a great, that's a noble mission. And as a, as a mom, so tell me a little bit about your mom, because she is uh, quite an accomplished lady mm-hmm. who never sought out to be a cookbook author. Oh, no, definitely not. Like, this is still very surprising to her. <laughs> <laughs> my mom still has a full-time job. She was trained as a software engineer. Basically, she moved here. She wanted to work. And my dad was a trained software programmer. And so she was just like, okay, I guess I'll just do that. It mm-hmm. wasn't some like passion for engineering. She was just like, I guess this is what I know, so I'll do it. So she got her, she got her degree, and she uh, just started working as a software programmer in the airline industry. She got to travel a ton, and then quickly they realized that she was she was suited to like management. And so basically, for the last 10, 15 years, my mom has just been like managing groups of software engineers. Um, and right now she works for the tax software company into it. And I always forget like her job is so, she has like a big demanding right. job. And then when she'd come home in the evening and work on the book with me, it was like, she's very good at just like turning Aww. that side off. Right. And, um, I mean, she did so much people, most people thought my mom was retired when she wrote this book. It's like, no, my mom oh, wow. had a full-time job, still has a full-time job. Right, she's a boss lady yeah. <laughs> of all these engineers and doing amazing things in that field. But yeah. then I love in her excerpt, she she says that she loves cooking at home um, when she gets home from work because she can you know focus on being creative and forget all of that stuff. And it's meditative, you know, I imagine. I, I can really Yeah, relate. it really is. And like... You know, I always think about this. If my mom had had a choice in her career, if there had there been options laid mm-hmm. out in front of her, I think she totally would have been like a recipe developer, like a longtime cookbook author. I really like, a you know, some kind of food editor somewhere. Mm-hmm. I think my mom was born to develop recipes. She's so good. She just has that intuition of what flavor goes with what that, that I don't have. clearly well she she exemplifies that but you've helped sort of bring her uh visions to life in this wonderful cookbook um you write that in the beginning that you know since you've been a food writer um and you know 
journalist, you know, traveling, you know, getting to interview really cool chefs and um, going Mm. to many different restaurants, it sort of made you more and more appreciative of the food of your home. And how how exactly did that happen? Like, do you know, like, how it became something that you wanted to take more uh, pride in and write more about? Was there a moment? uh, Yeah, I mean, I think as I started eating more and, like, you know, at Lucky Peach, like, we were, you know, we got to eat so many amazing meals when I worked there. And I kind of realized, like, my mom's food, like, holds up against Uh (laughs) all this really amazing restaurant food I've had. And then my mom contributed recipes to one of the Lucky Peach cookbooks, Power Vegetables, and they were so well-received. Oh, Like, in a way that I was like, oh, okay, this is this is something that people really like, that these professional food people really love. And then when I became a freelancer, the first person I turned to for article ideas was my mom and my dad. And I started writing about them. I started writing about the things that they do and the techniques, the, the dishes they made just really started resonating with people. And then even like as I was writing this book, like I feel like I didn't know whether this book was going to work or resonate as I was writing it. Like I sold this proposal, but I was like, who knows if anyone will even care when it comes out. Really? And as I was sharing the recipe testing process, as other people were testing recipes, I started to sort of gain this confidence. Like, okay, maybe maybe this could be a thing. Mm-hmm. And it's doing really well. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I love the story about how the title Indianish was sort of a placeholder at first. You yeah. didn't imagine that would be. You were like, mm, no, I'll come up with something way better. Yeah, totally. I just didn't I didn't want for some reason I didn't want the word Indian in the title because I was so averse to people pigeonholing the book I see um like I had all these terrible title ideas like cool mom or like mom cooks I don't just like really lame <laughs> lame titles I don't know I'm sure I'm sure there's like a book out there called mom cooks or like cool mom um but yeah I like kept going into these meetings with publishing companies and I would like caveat the title. I'd be like, don't worry, I'll come up with a better one. They'd mm-hmm. be like, no, we don't We don't want another title. Really? This is perfect. It really says it all. Yeah, it kind of does. And it's not just about the food. It's like about how we live our lives and, you know, the, 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 the world that we've developed for ourselves mm-hmm. in Dallas, Texas and beyond. Like it is Indian-ish. It's not strictly Indian. It's not strictly American. It's sort of some hybridized combination mm-hmm. of everything. It's, it's, and it's delicious. Yeah, and, and it's really good. <laughs> it's really good. Um, and it's not Indian. And uh, what do you, what do folks do? Do you hear from Indian folks who are like, this isn't Indian enough? And it's like, you're yeah, like, well, that's not the point. I definitely <laughs> hear from a lot, from like, like a, like a few Indians from India who are like, you know, this isn't, this Feta, isn't, this isn't work. how we make pow bhaji. Right. This is not how, you know, we make sag paneer, yeah. you know. And I think people who don't like, you know, explaining, like me, like explaining these techniques to people, I think they're like, why would you have to explain what a chonk is? But I'm like, you know, not everyone knows what a chonk is. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think, I think, I mean, I I feel like I try and like repeat this over and over again. Like I am not an expert in Indian food. This is not what this book is about. This book is about like one very specific slice of Indian American life. Um, But... Yeah, I mean, that has been really interesting. I'm really bad at taking that kind of criticism or, like, seeing negative feedback, and I need I need to get better at it. 
well, of course, there are people who are not going to like this grain book. of salt. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's. I think that, you know, maybe if they just tried to cook some, you never know. You could you could change and win over some folks. I hopefully. hope so. I really yeah. hope so. <laughs> I mean, they came to. They heard about it, and they're, that's true. Presumably, that is true. Yes, <laughs> there. So we'll see what happens then, yeah. I guess. <laughs> well, um, I love this book. I hope you guys all get your hands on it. Um, there's so much to talk about. We didn't even talk about the yogurt making, which is a great you know, DIY yogurt recipe yeah. in here. Which is Everyone should make their own yogurt. I mean, this, this book is chock full of great recipes and techniques. So thank you so much, Priya, for sharing it. Thanks for having me. All right, let's get back to our pizza, and we'll see you next week on Heritage Radio Network. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.